Episodes to Science Fiction Film Literacy with Chris Garcia. I had some problems, and I couldn't find a good subtitled version of Lost in Sensation to include with this episode. So, switch! Aerograd. Aerograd is interesting because it's not a far future science fiction film. It's, it's somewhat nebulous, but it's obviously pretty near future. And it, it really allows you to sort of see things in a very different way. One is that Soviet science fiction at this point was just starting to flourish. And you see a number of themes in Soviet science fiction that all sort of tie back to one of two sort of routes. And one is the promotion of Stalinism and of communism in general and socialism, and all these other things. And the other one is a protest stream, but that's sort of more nebulous and often layered deep under the entirety of the message. And the Soviet Union was ripe, absolutely ripe, with talent that wanted to be able to express themselves and they had a long, long history of Soviet fairy tales, Soviet fantasy writing. Uh, Tolstoy did some amazing things, even in his more sort of what we consider straight works, his sort of mainstream stuff. There are still elements of fantasy and dream in it. Now, what one thing that we see is this idea of promoting the unity and supremacy of socialism. And often in Soviet science fiction, there is a, I don't want to say a glorious figure, like a Stalin type, but usually there's something that stands for Stalin in the story. And sometimes that can be a city, sometimes it can be a technology, sometimes it's a person. Here, the city is Aerograd. This sort of, I mean, literally Aerograd means air city, more or less or Flight City. And what's really impressive about this isn't necessarily the idea that there's a city which is based around, you know, sending planes out, but it's that flight had become so essential to Russia that there's an understanding that we would need a dedicated capital for flight. And that's what Aerograd really is. Now, there are some wonderful elements to this. The acting in Soviet films at this point is really, really fascinating. There's a moment where one of our main characters uh, meets a Japanese guy. And the story basically is that there's this great city and there's an attack by this sort of neo-samurai class, I guess is the best way to put it of Japanese, and it really highlights the tensions between Russia and Japan that were going on and had been going on since the Sino-Russo War and the early part of that of the 20th century. But there's this great scene where this Japanese guy says, uh, before you kill me, can I express myself? And he just rants. It's an amazing rant. It is Dennis Miller 
at his worst level ranting. And the Russian guy just looks at him and takes it in. It's a remarkable way to play that scene. But really what you're watching Aerograd for isn't the acting. Well, it might be the song at the very beginning. Uh, there is a beautiful song about uh, We Must Fly and Glory and so forth, and it's amazing. But the, what you're really watching for is the flight scenes, the flight fighting scenes, and all of it. It's just, it's ballet. It really is ballet. It is using movement to tell a story. And not necessarily giving you the elements of the story in any way outside of this movement happens. And it's beautiful. It really is stunning. I've heard a lot of folks say that this is the best flight film and flight cinematography that's ever been done. I will argue, of course, that I'm a big fan of a lot of what was done with the uh, IMAX in the 1970s, 80s, and even into the early 90s. Uh, things like Speed, for example. That really sort of captured flight as a sensation. But here it is flight as a storytelling element. And that may never have been done better. Now, I find it hard to say that this film was influential outside the USSR, and it's hard to say how widely distributed it was outside the USSR. It certainly was referenced a lot in France, and a lot of the French filmmakers of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s have small elements that can show, that show up from this in their films. But one thing that you do see for sure is its effect on cinematography. And whenever you see that sort of uh, image, and I've seen it in Top Gun is the best example, where a plane flies in from the side of a shot, and then it sort of arrives at the middle and then it hangs. That's here a couple of times. And there's all sorts of visual language that happens here. Now, is this a great film? The copy that I'm linking to has closed caption subtitles, which I doubt are 100% accurate. My very, very limited Russian seems to indicate that there's a lot more said than we're given. And there's probably, like in almost all subtitling, there's probably some subtlety that is lost. That said, you can follow it. And it's really, really solid. The idea of near-future science fiction is really an interesting concept to me because you see it in... You see it a lot in the 90s and 2000s. You could argue that Gattaca falls into that category, for example. And even something like Donnie Darko, which is near-past science fiction. Huh, weird. But there's all these sort of levels of how we see the future. And here, the future is heroic. And all the planes of the Soviet Union coming to defeat this menace that's coming at them. You cannot read that as anything other than an understanding that World War II is around the corner and that Japan is going to be the nemesis. Here it's explicit. <laughs> And like a lot of other 
pre-World War II science fiction that you're seeing, uh, particularly from about 1934 up, what you're seeing is this anticipation that the tensions in the world may have been growing since World War I were going to explode. And what the Russians were saying was, we are united. And we can call in all of this technology. And in this case, planes and flight represents technology perfectly. That we can call in all this technology against this brutal force that is Japan. And that one element really makes this a fascinating film to study. Okay, so we're into the 30s. We're going to look at a couple of more interesting little films coming up. I'm hoping that we're going to get to do three episode recordings at Convolution. And even if we're not on the program, I may just record them there anyhow. Uh, that are going to be three short films. Electronic Labyrinth, THX 1138-4B, uh, which is the student film version of THX 1138 by George Lucas. Going to do La Jete, and another film with it called La Poupée, which are two of my favorite weird short films. And you'll understand when you see it. And of course, one of my personal favorite films of all time, Sorry About Tomorrow. Those three short films I'm going to talk about, and we're going to show them, and then we're going to do one of these episodes about them. And that's going to be a convolution. Whether it's officially a part of the program, I don't know. Maybe. I hope. Or I could just do it in the lobby, because, hey, I'm recording on an iPhone. What, what can't I do? <laughs>